Hi friends and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome. And we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House podcast with me, your host, Louise Rumble. And today I have the incredible Dr. Terry Mack, clinical psychologist and celebrity therapist here with me. Now, Dr. Terry's specialism is all things celebrities and why they do what they do. And I can guarantee you that you're going to get to the end of today's episode and you are going to have connected dots that you didn't even know needed connecting. Today, we are talking about Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly, and more particularly, what they can teach us about toxic romance, burning hard and fast, and when it's twin flame or true love, or when it's truly just toxic. As ever with these episodes, you do not need to know the intricacies of the celebrity, their lives, and their relationships. We really use them as a vehicle to bring out learnings about people, about life, and how most of the time, how childhood can drive relationship decisions in adulthood. So here is a little bit of a backstory in case you are not familiar with what's been happening this month. They've been engaged since January 2022. But this week, Megan Fox appears to have deleted all photos of her fiancé, Machine Gun Kelly, from her Instagram. And she posted a cryptic update referencing dishonesty. In the caption, she quoted lyrics from Beyonce's 2016 song, Pray You Catch Me, and wrote, You can taste the dishonesty. It's all over your breath. And she's also deleted all of the photos of him off her Instagram. I think it's important in this episode to be aware that Machine Gun Kelly has struggled badly with his mental health. He threatened to attempt suicide before on the phone to Megan Fox as he struggled with the death of his father in 2020. And he also wrote a film called Good Morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, after he received what he thought was a breakup text from Megan Fox. And he wrote it while spiraling over the text message. He's also been reported to have experienced wild paranoia. I think some of the tidbits that we've been shared about their relationship through the press, which we acknowledge and understand, you know, we never see the full story of, but there are a lot of things that have come out about their relationship, things that have been said, things that have been done, that have many of us raising an eyebrow, I nearly said eyelid, have many of us raising an eyebrow. There's a lot of questionable behavior. So, My thoughts on this relationship is that he'd never fallen in love before. So he says that this is the first time he's ever fallen in love. And I see her as sort of like trying to save him, you know, like him falling madly in love with her, worshipping her. Because, you know, when you've never been in love before, it's like the most insane set of emotions. But I think underneath that love, there was a lot of him 
needing to be saved, her maybe thinking that she could fix him, help him, use her love, their love, to bring him into a better version of himself. And I mean, we'll get into it later. It's something that I have firsthand experienced. But let's start with you, Dr. Terry. What are your thoughts on this concept of saving someone else from themselves? Let's get into the psychology. Yeah, well, I agree with you. I think, first of all, I'm not surprised that this is happening in their relationship. Whether this is the ending or whether this is just a huge rupture at this point, we don't know. But it is highly dramatic. And from what we've seen in this relationship so far, there were clear signs of emotional instability, codependency, this idea that they wanted to merge into one soul, that they actually believe they are parts of two parts of one soul. So there's this dependency, this enmeshment that was going on in this relationship. And I agree with you about what you were saying that, you know, Machine Gun Kelly had never been in love before. And so I think that did something for Megan that she really probably felt like her love, or like you said, their love could save him, could heal him. And so many of us have fallen into this trap. The truth is we cannot love somebody to health. We just can't. Our love can be nurturing. It can be like medicine, but it is not enough for somebody to heal. And clearly there have been mental health issues on both sides, not just for Machine Gun Kelly, but also for Megan. And I I believe that they thought this relationship, you know, they were kind of like indestructible. As long as they were together, they were going to be okay. But individually as people, I think there was a lot of healing that has not been done, a lot of mental health issues that have not been addressed. And this is really the first rupture we've seen between the two of them. And it really was inevitable. How are they going to handle that when something big happens in their relationship? A relationship is only as healthy as its unhealthiest partner. And I think that's really interesting here because, you know, you said there's challenges on both sides. And I think, you know, again, as ever, no shame, no judgment in this episode. We all come with emotional challenges, issues, baggage, whatever you want to call it. And I think that, you know, if you look at Megan as well, she's struggled with an eating disorder in the past. She struggled with bipolar disorder and she calls it manic depression. And I believe that she also constantly wonders if she has borderline personality disorder. And she's also said and referenced that she has OCD tendencies as well. And I think that exactly what you said is that they almost felt like their love could be redemptive for each other. And I say the word redemptive uh, and it makes me feel a bit emotional because I have had direct, like this was a word that I have had used like in one of my relationships, which was that one of my ex-boyfriends, when I met him, was so chronically depressed and he wasn't even really aware, you know, at that point where you're so far gone that you don't even realize how bad things are. And he always said to me that, my love was redemptive. You know, it brought him back to life. And as a result of my relationship with him, it put him into therapy where he then took the steps to take control of his mental health. But, you know, he would always say, you were my redemption. You brought me back to life. That's why I can feel these similarities with what's going on here is that I saw him and I I fell in love with him and I loved him so 
much and all I wanted to do was love him better and I was more emotionally stable and don't get me wrong I had a lot of issues too which is where his love was almost redemptive for me but it was kind of a similar situation as this where it was like as long as we have each other we are going to be okay as long as we have each other we can love and support each other out of this but the truth is is in my situation reality was going on around us so you know for us it was like we couldn't carry on in this like redemptive loving relationship and actually it was a good step for him was like you can go into therapy and take this journey on your own whereas I feel like what you've said here is like neither of them really seem to have done that and they do say that they've done every therapy in the book so I don't I'm not detracting from the fact that I do think to some extent they are doing the work but I think what's so fascinating about it is it seems to be them doing the work together rather than it being them doing the work individually. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think what you're talking about is really attachment hunger. And I think both of their childhoods really set them up to have that attachment hunger. And I think when they met, that's really what they were feeling. I think their whole relationship was built on this chemistry, this sexual attraction, and this attachment hunger. And I also think that in this relationship, Megan really felt like she could be her real self. If you look back at her childhood, she was raised in a very religious, kind of fundamentalist, religious household. And so there were parts of her sexuality, parts of her self that she had to keep hidden. And then she meets Brian Austin Green, when she's 18, and he was 10 or 11 years older than her. And she said that she felt she really had to prove herself to be more mature, more responsible. And so I think in this relationship with Machine Gun Kelly, she could finally be all these parts of herself, sexually expressive, not the responsible, mature one, but also she felt needed by Machine Gun Kelly. She was the stable attachment figure for him. And I think for her, both of those sides of the coin, really feeling seen and loved for who she feels she really is, and also having that safety and stability of knowing that she's she's in this role of savior for him, I think was really important here. Not healthy necessarily, but understandable. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that particularly being in Hollywood as well, you know, she's been idolized as being this certain type of person, which probably isn't the truth of her reality because, you know, ultimately she's a caricature because that's what sort of Hollywood is and and these big celebrities are. And what I saw here was exactly what you said, was that someone was just not only loving her for exactly who she was, but actually worshipping her for that. I think that that's why this relationship that I'm talking about, when I'm talking about this redemptive love, it was because for the first time ever, I could just be the messiest version of me, you know, with everything that was going on, all my mental health issues at that point in my life. And he just, like Machine Gun Kelly, just like worshipped me because I had taken him out of this place from such a dark place that it was like he worshipped and loved me for exactly who I was and I think that so many of us today don't even realize that from such a young age we're sort of brainwashed into being or thinking we need to be someone that we're not 
whether that starts in the playground, you know, I want to be liked, I want to be chosen, I want to be at the top of the class, or whether it's in ballet school, you know, I want to be, I want to have the best arms or the pointiest toes, or whether you get to teenage years and when you sort of start developing and it's like, I want to be chosen or I want to be the pretty one. I feel like there's this sort of constant performative angle that is brainwashed particularly into females, but I think it also applies to males as well. And actually, when all of a sudden you find someone that just loves you for you, all the mess, everything you've lived through, you can share with no shame, no judgment. I truly think that was why I fell madly in love, because it was like, wow, you love me in a way that I've never been able to love myself. And that probably my caregivers, I didn't feel like my caregivers maybe loved me in that way either. So I think that's where this piece around like redemptive love comes in. And I think that that's exactly what's happened here is that he worshipped her. Like not only was it the first time he's ever fallen in love, but he feels like this woman saved his life. And she's like the sexiest woman, you know, on planet Earth. Like he literally must have been so in love with her or is so in love with her that of course it's understandable how that verges into being unhealthy. So could not agree more about that sort of attachment piece and almost like the pedestaling and her taking a bit of a power kick out of that as well because it gives her purpose, right? Purpose, I'm keeping this person alive and I'm the reason that they're getting better and healing, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you are so right about that. Yeah, and I want to say that the danger in that is that it's almost impossible to set healthy boundaries. It's almost like boundaries are a betrayal of the bond the two of you have created together to focus individually on yourself or to create some space for yourself is feels like separation, feels like a betrayal. And that's, you know, when we talk about the codependency, when we talk about the enmeshment, it's like two people trying to merge themselves into each other, not demonstrating healthy boundaries. And that emotional instability that results from that. So it's, you know, it's pretty dangerous to be in this type of situation, but we can understand how it it feels so good to, to feel so needed and so loved and so worshipped and so safe with somebody. But what we don't realize is without boundaries for ourselves, without having a really strong sense of self and caring for that, eventually it's all going to blow up. And I think that ties back to exactly the point around him writing this whole movie script when he thought that she'd broken up with him via text message because that was probably not even a boundary that she put in place. Just maybe something happened and he just spiraled and, and couldn't handle that. So I think that's really interesting. And I also thought it was interesting as well how, you know, the bouts of paranoia was when she was away filming in Bulgaria, I think it was, don't quote me on the details. And also how he threatened suicide on the phone. Like for me, it feels like these big dramatic things are happening when there's some distance between them. Like even if it's, I mean, who knows where they were on the phone to and from, but you could take from that, that maybe they weren't together in the same place. Otherwise this situation would have happened, you know, in person. So it is interesting for you to say that the second that you set a boundary in an enmeshed situation like this, there's no space for a healthy boundary. And then that's where this spiraling can happen, which probably then drives you further into the bond of not wanting to 
set a boundary, raise a concern, use your voice, raise your opinion, because you start to understand what the repercussion of that's going to be. And I mean, it's not just on him, but, you know, I can't imagine how it would feel to be Megan knowing that like at any point, if she did something that he could threaten to commit suicide as well, you know, I think that is scary. Yeah. And the point of that is that she now feels responsible for his mental health, for his well-being. And that is always wrong, always dangerous. We are never responsible for somebody's up. We are never responsible for somebody else's mental health, well-being, or what they decide to do. So that codependency, that enmeshment really fuels this idea of responsibility for the other person, which is always false. Okay, so I think some of the things we've pulled out from this episode so far is these clear signs of emotional instability, both within themselves, but also within the relationship, and also elements of codependency and enmeshment, which ultimately are reflective of, you know, a trauma bond and a toxic love and a toxic relationship. Now, there's a lot of other things sort of going on as well, but I think it would be interesting to dig into their childhoods to maybe understand a little better how these key themes might show up in a relationship in adulthood. I would love it if you could share from a therapist's perspective what you thought was most interesting from what you read. So starting with Machine Gun Kelly, if we look back into his childhood, his mom left when he was nine. She ran off with another man. And he was left to be raised really in poverty by a father who, you know, didn't have a stable job and who suffered from depression. So that abandonment wound is something that he has, you know, talked about, written songs about, and, you know, he carried that into adulthood, which is likely why he never let anybody get close to him before. This is the first time he, he says he was really in love. And then if we look at Megan, her dad left when she was a child. When her parents got divorced, she was then raised by her mom and stepfather in a very religious household. And so she had, like we talked about, had to really repress a lot of who she was and her personality. And at the same time, also had this abandonment wound. You know, then she goes on to marry Brian Austin Green and to really try to perform in this role of like proving herself, proving that she's responsible and mature. We don't really know the insides of that relationship, but we do know it was on again, off again. So they had three children together, but they broke up a number of times and then ultimately got divorced after the third child was born. So I think this relationship, again, was a really safe place for her. It was not a place she had to perform. In fact, she was with somebody that even unconsciously, maybe she recognized was pretty sick in terms of mental illness, um, but who loved and adored and worshipped her. And because, you know, he wasn't this person that was above her. There were no religious expectations. There were no feelings that this man was older or more responsible, more mature. She could be who she really was and still be worshipped and adored. And this abandonment wound that they both carried with them really led to this codependency, this clinging to each other, this, you know, wish to just merge into each other, which again, we understand why that happens, but 
that's never sustainable and it's never going to lead to healthy love. Yeah, I think she was recorded to have said at some point that he's acted as if he's like a 19-year-old his whole life. So I think that just to add on to that point that clearly he was the opposite of her ex-husband. It was literally like she didn't have to be sensible or be a certain way. And I think that she posted this picture once like, of an Airbnb they stayed in, basically implying that they were like having sex on the table. And it was, you know, funny, but also there was that element of like, like a little bit too much sexualization. I don't know, it just, it just felt like an interesting kind of overshare, which I think ties into the fact that he just like fully is all in on her, just like being whoever she wants to be. And he probably to some extent is maybe young and like exacerbates that as well. Because if you look at his like fashion style and like his music and stuff, like he has very much pushed away from those restraints of society as well and is like basically fuck you all. So I think together they're a bit like fuck the world. It's us against the world, like that kind of mentality. And I think another thing that I found really interesting, which again, probably speculating here, but you know, his mum ran off with another man when he was nine, right? So he was abandoned by a female figure in his life that was supposed to love and care for him for another man. So part of me was wondering, okay, maybe this is why he's never been in a long distance relationship because subconsciously, unconsciously, he has a mother wound. He doesn't trust the female. He knows that the female is going to betray him, et cetera, et cetera. And part of me wonders, you know, that social media caption that she put out, she's implying that he's been dishonest, right? She's implying that he's cheated on her. One would think like, why why would someone that worships someone so much do that? Again, we don't know what's really going on behind closed doors. There could be a ton of things, issues that have been building up for ages. But I just thought it was interesting for me to think maybe there could be some level of like self-sabotage on his part. So he doesn't get abandoned by her. Like, you know, maybe she was pushing away from him behind closed doors because there have been a lot of TikToks out there saying like, oh my God, Megan Fox has got the ick with Machine Gun Kelly. And there's like clips of them where she's just clearly like a bit annoyed by him when they're at public events or he's doing something stupid or she's just kind of like energetically, you can feel that she's like not that into the situation. Um, So yeah, just part of me thought there could be some element of self-sabotage there. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, when a parent abandons us, right, the only thing that we can do as children is to make it about us. We internalize it. We make it about us. So then we feel like we have some control. Okay, if I can be better, if I can be more of this or less of this, I can make sure that people won't leave me again. Because as kids, If we knew the truth, if we could really comprehend the truth that the people who are supposed to love and protect us the most didn't because of their own stuff, and we have absolutely no control over that, like it could literally kill us. That would be too painful for a child's mind to understand or comprehend. So I think you're right. And especially if there was you know, dynamics happening in the relationship where Megan was getting annoyed with him or there was tension in the relationship. The only thing he would know to do would be to self-sabotage, to create an issue, to create that rift because waiting around for her to leave would be too painful. So I think that's probably a pretty accurate prediction, even though, of course, we don't know for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll find out more as more comes out and it's going to be really interesting 
to see and we can just understand a little bit more what's going on and hopefully they're both okay and we can see where they go from here. But I think now's a really interesting point for us to maybe talk about the fact that maybe this wasn't love or maybe it was, maybe it was a certain type of love. You know, he said, I didn't know what love was until me and her made eye contact. And that's when I was like, whoa. And what I've learned from therapy, what I've learned from you is that love isn't love on eye contact. Like love is something that is built over time with pacing, with connection, with compatibility, with chemistry. What are your thoughts on that? That the likelihood is is that this probably was something a lot more toxic than just love. Yeah, I mean, this may have been the closest that Machine Gun Kelly or even Megan have gotten to, you know, it may have been the most intense feeling of love they experienced, but it certainly was not healthy love. And, you know, love at first sight, love upon eye contact, that's not love. That's something else. That's lust. That's connection. That's attraction. Um, but love is a big part of love is behavior, right? It's not just a feeling. And that idea that we can love someone just by like meeting eyes with them or knowing them for a day is very immature, which again, like Machine Gun Kelly seems to be pretty emotionally stunted. And and that would make sense given his history, given that he struggled for years as a child with mental health issues that seemed to have gone unaddressed. So the way that they have talked about their relationship, you know, the highs, the lows, they talked about like being twin flames. That is not healthy love. That's codependency. That's enmeshment. That's those other things that we've talked about, which are not healthy love. So did they feel like it was love? Probably. Was it ever going to be sustainable or healthy? No. Yeah, that quote really hit me as well. The one that you just spoke about when she said, loving him is like being in love with a tsunami or a forest fire. The intensity of merging with him is just overwhelming and the threat it poses is so powerful, but so beautiful. And she also said, it should be light, but we go to hell with each other. It's ecstasy and agony for sure. And then she also said, it's a constant process of like suffering and passion and love and the repeat cycles And so I think she's like given us the truth about the situation there is like she's literally told us that these are repetitive cycles of like love, passion and suffering on repeat. And I just honestly have been there. If someone's listening to this and just thinks like I can't relate, I just truly am so happy that you can't relate to that because for me it it has been so normal to be in a relationship where like you fuck and you fight, and you love, and it repeats. It repeats. And some days it might be days before it happens again. Some days it might be weeks before it happens again. But you always know that at some point something is going to happen. And I honestly just thought that's what came with love, was this passion where you're you're kind of riding or dying with that other person, and you're going to fix them, and you're going to love them, and you're going to be there for them, and it's going to hurt you. But that like, it's going to be okay in the end. And I think since going to therapy and since doing the work and since meeting my boyfriend, I've realized that, oh my goodness, like love is supposed to be stable and easy and supportive. No drama, no fighting, you know, no screaming, et cetera, et cetera. 
So if you are listening to this thinking like, oh shit, I kind of resonate with what Louise is saying there, I would definitely urge you to go back into the back catalogue and I'll put the recommended episodes in the show notes for this because Dr. Terry and I have done a ton of stuff on couple goals or codependency and a lot of other sort of toxic traits in relationships and how to heal them. So yeah, I just wanted to ask you your thoughts on that because life is hard, right? Like life hurts, bad things happen and and pain happens. And if you don't know how to cope with it, it's kind of natural that sometimes your partner's going to have to ride it with you. But where's that fine line between we're riding this together versus like, this is a forest fire that I am holding on for dear life through? Yeah, it's a great question. I agree with everything you just said. You know, healthy relationships are always going to have conflict. There's always going to be some rupture and then some repair. And healthy couples know how to do that repair. And they know how to do the rupture and the conflict without creating these huge rifts or creating a lot of damage in the relationship. But these cycles of the highs and lows, the disconnection, reconnection, and the suffering, those cycles are toxic. Those kind of cycles are not indicative of healthy love. And your relationship should help carry you through the the highs and lows of life. Your relationship should not be the reason you're going through highs and lows, right? So your partnership with somebody should be pretty stable overall. And you definitely should not be experiencing suffering as a result of your relationship or your partner or your partnership. If you're going through these cycles of extreme highs and extreme lows, it's, you know, it's because your nervous system is used to that. That's what your templates of love show you. That's what you always thought love was. But healthy love feels different. It's not as taxing on our nervous system. There's less rupture and repair. And the process of rupture and repair is much smoother and quicker. That is gold dust what you've just shared there. So thank you. I I truly think that is stuff that everybody, everybody needs to hear. And I think that unfortunately, the truth is, is that we live in a society where particularly new age spirituality, there is a lot of risk of labeling things as twin flames, for example. Now, I do have my own set of spiritual beliefs and um, an important connection there. But I think that unfortunately, we see a lot of people making excuses for incredibly bad, toxic and traumatic behavior through spiritual bypassing, which is basically saying it's a twin flame, etc, etc. And I've been there before. And I think that sometimes it's because the pain is so painful, that you need almost like an excuse like this happened for a bigger reason. You know, this happened because of X, Y, Z, and this is this. And I think the belief with the twin flame is like, they're yours forever. They're always going to come back even if they leave and even if they break your heart or whatever. And I think that this is just actually a very dangerous phenomenon that's going on. And I do believe in spiritual partnerships. I do actually believe in the concept of twin flames, but I think that 99% of the time people that are labeling themselves or safe self-labeling themselves as being in a twin flame partnership actually 
may not be. I just wanted to know your thoughts on this. Do you see people spiritually bypassing like the actual psychology of like, no, this is toxic behavior? Absolutely. I mean, I do believe there are spiritual partnerships and I believe that spiritual partnerships are those relationships that teach us something that help us grow and evolve. But a lot of people get stuck in relationships that are toxic and they use these, you know, spiritual terms, twin flames, that sort of thing as justification to stay in something that is very toxic and damaging. If in the human world, what you're experiencing is damaging, is hurtful, is making you suffer, is unstable, is having an impact on your mental health or your well-being, you need to get out of it. There is no spiritual justification for staying in something. In fact, the lesson is probably getting out of that and reflecting on what was that relationship trying to show you, teach you, reveal to you. But it's not about staying in the relationship. I'm so glad you just said the word lesson there because that's exactly right, is that I do think that every relationship is a vehicle to show us something, to teach us a lesson, whether that is about us or about people that we engage with or really just about love and life. There can be a lesson. People can teach you a lesson, whether that's just in this lifetime, whether if you have spiritual practice, you believe that it's because of a past life connection or because of karma or or whatever that is. But I think you're so right is that it's about taking action in this lifetime. Like I see a lot of people, particularly in Tulum saying, you know, we're X, Y, Z and that's why he's acting like this. And it's like, like Terry said, yeah, okay, maybe that is the case, but you are still tolerating this behavior. You are still engaging in this behavior. You need to break that cycle no matter what has driven it, what is the driver of it, and not romanticizing. I think that the twin flame concept and all of that, like it has the ability to really be romanticized and fantasized into it being something much more than it is. And I think sometimes it's really, really difficult to bring it back to ground zero. So if you are listening to this and you do relate, I really hope that you can go to a therapist because, you know, 99% of therapists are going to say to you, no, this psychologically is what's happening and this is abuse, this is codependency, this is enmeshment. So I just hope that, you know, this part of the episode, we can just bring a, a bit of a reality check back to anyone that's going through this. And again, no judgment. I've been there. Can't even count on two hands how many men I think I've had as a twin flame in, in my life at this point. And I can't even remember their names now. So I think that's probably <laughs> the irony of it. But as we come to wrap up today's episode, I would love to ask you your thoughts, clinical psychologist, celebrity therapist, what are your thoughts on them getting back together? Could they ever work? Is it destined for disaster? What is your advice? Well, I wouldn't be surprised if they reconnect or try it again. Do I think it's going to work? No, I don't. Because I think each of them really has some major healing to do before they could build something healthy with anyone, really. And I think the majority of that work for both of them is to de- is really to work on solidifying their own self-identity, and which is going to take a number of things, really starting to address those abandonment wounds for Megan, really understanding where her worth comes from, who she really is, 
and being able to show up authentically in her own life without needing somebody else to worship and validate her. And for Machine Gun Kelly, I think there's been years of him just being in survival mode and him being very closed off, probably from emotional connection to somebody. And now he allowed that kind of connection in, resulting in this really painful ending. We don't know exactly what's happening. But I think particularly for Machine Gun Kelly, really addressing those um, abandonment wounds and both of them really working on their own sense of self and their own self-identity so that whether it's with each other or another partner, they don't get into another codependent relationship. Totally. I think the the very easiest thing of all is just to get back together, you know, to flow straight back into this partnership and just pick up where they left off, obviously with a trust rupture that they then have to rebuild at the same time, which is probably going to make things even more codependent, even more enmeshed because she's going to want to know everything or just making the whole situation messier. The truth is, is that it's in these moments where there's the rejection and there's the abandonment and there's the distrust and there's the dishonesty that they really shine a light on the biggest wounds that we have, like the deepest wounds, the wounds that we spend our entire life running from consciously, subconsciously, whether we even are aware of the wounds that we carry. And I think that this is the opportunity here is that in in any relationship, the often the most traumatic, heartbreaking breakdowns of relationships and toxic trauma bonds is where you need to be the strongest to say, I am so fucked up by this, but I'm going to use this as an opportunity to work out what has fucked me up so bad about this, rather than just going with the easy option and just getting back together with that person. Because I think, you know, ultimately people are like, well, why wouldn't I just get back with them? It's just easier that way. Yes, but it's just going to keep repeating, repeating, repeating the cycles that they've known since they've met, that they've known individually in all of their dating careers and histories since then. So yeah, I would hope that maybe they need to take some healing time for themselves. Because like we said at the beginning of the episode, it seems that so much of this healing journey has been them as a unit, as an entity, rather than it being them individually, which is where I think that the real responsibility lies. So yeah, that's been fascinating. I've loved doing that episode. I feel like when you tie things back to childhood and you just you just pick out little bits here and there and what they probably learned about love and what they learned about men and women, what parents do and all of that kind of stuff, you can really see how some of these situations make make a lot more sense. So thank you as ever. I know we'll be jumping back on more of these celebrity episodes soon because they've been much requested and you love doing them as well. So more to come on this. And to everyone listening, if you haven't already listened to my solo episode that I released Terry and I very soon will be launching Open House Premium content where you can go deeper every single month and get more content from us, about us, with us, between us, whatever it is you want, we are there. We will be doing long form bonus episodes, just what you love with the podcast, but more of it. We're also going to be answering all of the open house submissions within that open house premium space. You'll also get my life updates from me and maybe even some more celebrity analysis. So make sure that you're on either open houses or Dr. Terry's email list so you can be the first 
to know when this goes live because there are going to be some very, very, very exciting things for those who sign up first. But other than that, thank you so much, Dr. Terry, and I will see you next episode. Thanks, Louise. Bye, everyone.